You're listening to Autumn on the Air, the weekly podcast that brings you conversations about the impact of research commercialization and the people who make it happen. Join us for interviews with patent and licensing professionals, innovators, entrepreneurs, and tech transfer leaders on the issues and trends that matter most. Keep listening for an inside track on the people, IP policies, and politics changing our world. Today, I'm talking with Kathy Vidal, Director of the United States Patent and Trademark Office. As the head of the USPTO, Kathy oversees one of the world's biggest intellectual property agencies with more than 13,000 employees and an annual budget of more than $4 billion. Through the Secretary of Commerce, she serves as the president's primary intellectual property advisor, focusing on fostering and protecting U.S. innovation, entrepreneurship, and creativity. It is her agency's mission to help American workers and businesses compete and collaborate, especially in groundbreaking technologies and across all demographics. She is already working to expand American innovation for and from all and to bring more ideas to impact. Welcome, Kathy. I'm so excited to have you here on the air. I'm so excited to be here. Well, thank you so much again for taking time. And, you know, I've been digging a little bit into your background, and I was absolutely fascinated to learn that you grew up in a career military family, and you spent your childhood on military bases in the U.S., Panama, Germany, and the Azorean Islands in Portugal. But you had an early interest in science, and you attended Binghamton University at the age of 16 when you got your bachelor's degree in electrical engineering. When I was 16, I was playing varsity basketball and not even thinking about college. So tell me a little bit about your journey to going to college uh, at 16. Yeah, I appreciate that. So when I was in the Azor Islands, uh, I was at a Department of Defense school and they didn't really have any criteria on which classes you could take in any given year. So in ninth grade, I signed up for chemistry, physics, um, you know, all of the sciences, biology. And so by the time I got back, got back to the U.S., I had already had all the math and science classes and there was really not much more to do. So not knowing that I wasn't supposed to, I just applied to college early. They accepted me. I told them I hadn't graduated and they said, come anyway. So I did. That's pretty amazing. And how about your interest in electrical engineering? You know, so unusual for a girl to, at that age, want to go into electrical engineering. So uh, it's interesting because my, my dad used to take us around to garage sales on the Navy bases. And uh, one of the things that I found at one point was an oscilloscope. So I had one in my room and would play early on <laughs> with my oscilloscope. Um, so I was always interested in, you know, anything physical. So I started out uh, as a mathematical physics major and then eventually had to decide between mechanical electrical and the other variants. And uh, at that time, I was told electrical engineering was the hardest. So I thought, okay, let's start there. That's awesome. That's awesome. And then you put yourself through law school and got your JD from the University of Pennsylvania, and you decided to uh, pursue a career in IP. And throughout your career, you represented new innovators, startup companies with limited resources, as well as some of the nation's most successful and well-known companies. You could have stayed in private practice. So what inspired you to move into public service? 
So I'll say that everything I did in private practice, including on my free time, was really about trying to make more of an impact for others. I tried to do that within the law firms I worked in. I tried to do that through all my extracurricular activities, through helping startups and small companies that uh, you didn't really have the resources to pay uh, for my billable rate. Uh, and so when I did get the call and was asked whether I would come into government to serve, it didn't take too long to realize that this would be a platform to make bigger impact uh, for the country itself. Uh, and then for all the people who are not who are underrepresented uh, so that I could really move the needle in that regard. Yeah. And you've really hit the ground running in terms of making an impact. And it's just been phenomenal. And now, in addition to your role as director, you're also vice chair of the Council for Inclusive Innovation, known as C-Squared and a member of the advisory board of Chiefs in Intellectual Property, which is a nonprofit professional organization that promotes and links women in technology, law, and policy. So what compelled you with everything else that you have going on to get involved with these organizations? Well, and I appreciate that. So the uh, the CHIPS work was actually work from the past. I'm not allowed to be board members on things like that going forward. Um, I was on a number of boards where I would join if I really thought the organization wanted to move the needle, uh, that we weren't just talking about issues, that we were coming up with programs uh, and really doing outreach so that we can move the needle. So that's why I joined those types of organizations. The Council for Inclusive Innovation is a USPTO initiative, and uh, it's so critical to all the work we're doing. And I would say a lot of the work we're doing falls under the CI squared umbrella. And then most recently, I became a vice chair of the uh, of NACI, the National Advisory Council on Innovation and Entrepreneurship. So these are initiatives that are really aligned with what I see as my mission and vision and the USPTO's mission and vision to bring more innovation to impact, especially for those who have not traditionally been part of the innovation ecosystem um, and in key technology areas. So it's all part of the same effort. So you're obviously very passionate about equity, diversity and inclusion. So I'm curious what that means to you personally. So personally, there's a lot of layers to it. So at the highest level, it's important to our country that if we have people on the bench that can contribute to our economic growth, to ideas, to solve world problems, we just don't have the right solution. But beyond that, I, I want to help everybody have, you know, see themselves as somebody who can contribute. Um, I feel like that's really personal. Um, from, for me, it's really personal. I can help people. Uh, participate. And I want to make sure we have a system where they can participate. I think it helps it helps our families. It helps our communities. It helps mental health. Um, so all the things that I care about completely align with that mission. Yeah, it's, it's similar for myself. And I'm the chair of the Autumn Equity, Diversity, Inclusion Committee. And, you know, we're as our committee really um, charged and really focused on exactly what you're talking about, trying to provide those opportunities and help people who maybe aren't aware of them or just have never had the opportunity to explore those avenues. So um, know that that's something you and the PTO are working incredibly hard on. So switching gears a little bit, I understand that the USPTO recently wrapped up uh, a public comment period on the draft 2022 through 2026 strategic plan. Why is the plan so important for the agency and what are its ultimate goals? So that plan is something that we've had in the works since I came on board. The team was working on it before I came on board. Um, and then when I, when I came into the office, we really focused on 
looking at what we could accomplish and, and really thinking higher level about the whole idea of bringing innovation to impact. So that plan has all of my thoughts and vision on this. It has the team's thoughts on it. Um, it was really something that we built from the ground up as a way to communicate within the agency so everybody could connect to our mission and vision and with the community so that we could all work together to create impact. So I always encourage everybody to read it. It's um, it's an exciting plan. It's an action-packed plan. And it's something that we've been living to day after day since I've been here. And now we've memorialized it. Just curiously, how long does it take uh, to develop a strategic plan like that? I mean, it's obviously, you know, I've gone through it. There's been a lot of effort put into it. It's very detailed. Um, it must take months and months and months of effort by you and your team to put that type of document together. It, it did. Um, I would say that because we kind of reset once I got into my position, it took about 10 months to get it to where it is today because I've been in for 10 months. Uh, the team was phenomenal in in working it. Uh, we we are now moving it to so it's a draft plan right now. Um, we are having a meeting in a couple of weeks with leadership where we're going to step through all the comments we got from the public, all the comments we got from people within the USPTO to figure out how we can finalize the plan. But even up to getting it out in draft form, we consulted with our advisory committees. We had leadership meetings where we would excruciate, you know, we, we would in great detail oh, step through imagine. every single part of the plan, every word choice, um, et cetera. So it was a, it was a pure team effort. I would imagine. Yeah. It sounds like tremendous amount of work by you and your team. And, you know, another interesting aspect as a patent attorney for myself is, and what I love about it is there's new technology coming up all the time. It's a wonderful field to be in if you love to learn. And it sounds like you are a passionate learner. And so I'm curious, you know, whether we're talking about artificial intelligence, NFTs, how do you and the PTO stay on top of all of this that's changing all the time? It's critically important that we do it, um, that we stay on top of it. And I will say, as I mentioned earlier, when we talk about fostering more innovation in the country. We want to especially do it in those key technology areas, the ones that are going to result in national competitiveness, national security and jobs. Um, and so certainly these emerging technologies are crucial. Uh, I will say that we have teams around each of these, whether it's NFTs, whether it's AI, emerging technology, quantum. And what we are doing is we're, we're working on partnerships with the public so that we can be fully advised, not just of what we can learn, but what they have to bring to the table. So with AI and emerging technologies, we have an AIET partnership where we have regular meetings, we solicit feedback. Um, when it comes to AI, we just did a request for comment because AI, as you know, in the last month or so has been moving at such a rapid pace that we need to start drilling down on how are we going to consider innovations where AI played a role. Um, and there's a lot of other questions in that, but our goal generally is stay on top of it and engage with the public as much as possible so that we're making the best decisions. And I will say there's another aspect to that, and that's that um, when people file for patent applications, technologies are converging now. Absolutely. So not only are we developing even more training around that, I did a director's blog to try and bring more people in to do training for the patent examiners because they want it. They're super smart. Um, they they want to be apprised of all these new um, innovations. Uh, but also because the innovations are converging, we've changed examination to allow for more collaboration. Oh, awesome. Because if you're in the biotech field and you get an invention that's biotech but has an AI layer, you're going to need to talk to somebody who's aware of AI. So that whole digital health area is an area where, you know, the AI is crossing over with biotech and electrical and computer. So yeah, converging multiple areas of discipline. Exactly. 
So we talked a little bit earlier about your passion for equity, diversity, inclusion among the innovation community. But um, I'm familiar with the USPTO's Legal Experience and Advancement Program, LEAP, which I think is just a phenomenal program. I've used it with a patent agent um, in my firm. And it's really great in terms of breaking barriers for patent attorneys and patent agents. Um, Like I mentioned, I'm familiar with it, but maybe for those people who aren't, could you tell us a little bit about this LEAP program? Uh, I'm happy to tell you about it. And I can give you a little bit of backdrop in terms of how I connected in with LEAP. So about maybe 10 years ago, I was at one of the CHIPS conferences and I was on a panel of lead trial attorneys. And it was when we really decided we need to move the needle and not just talk about the issues. And so on stage, I proposed that we start a next gen website where we start tracking orders by judges where they're encouraging less experienced people to argue. And I thought if we can do that and put them in one place, number one, that would communicate to those who are more junior that there's opportunity and it would give them a tool to raise that with their partners, with their clients. Uh, It would embolden clients to allow more junior people to argue. And then at one point, um, maybe a few years into it, the PTAB came to talk to me and said, we're thinking about starting up something like that. So I've been involved in the LEAP program from the beginning. Um, I've been involved in other courts as well, trying to figure out the best practices, what's worked well, what could be improved. And I have to say the PTAB knocked it out of the park. Um, The program allows for argument by those who have fewer than, I believe it's three uh, arguments, substantive arguments. It does not include pro bono. Um, There were other limitations that we've we've removed because we want more people to be able to argue. Uh, If you do uh, submit to have a leap person argue, you get additional argument time. So there's a benefit, which is always a positive. You can always, the senior person can always step up if they feel like they need to contribute. So you don't have to worry if, um, if something is said that you think you want to correct, you're welcome to step up. And then in addition to that, there's so much training around it. Um, there's, there's training with mock, ju- you know, mock judges and mock trials. Um, and, and there's just so much that surrounds it that supports elite practitioners. So it's a phenomenal program. I would encourage many more people to use it. Yeah. Like I said, I used it with a patent agent in my firm to argue an appeal to the board. And it was a phenomenal experience for her and for me as well. And I was very impressed by the PTAB judges, um, how they worked with her. And like exactly like you said, she was given more time and I was able to step in here and there to make some clarifying points. But I think it's an excellent program that more patent attorneys should use and not be afraid that, and clients shouldn't be nervous about it either. It's a, it's an excellent, excellent program and a way to train the next generation. So keeping on this, this theme about training and um, learning on IP, you know, IP can be really intimidating for people who are new, um, particularly if you're a woman entrepreneur or you're in a startup um, or in a small business. And the USPTO has a great pro bono program, which you just alluded to. Can you talk a little bit about that program and how it helps entrepreneurs turn their ideas into successful products and businesses? I I appreciate that. That was a program that I doubled down on as soon as I got to the office. I'll say that there's two overlapping programs. One is we have a law firm certification or a law school certification program where we have pro bono services that we team with law schools on, and that's for patents and trademarks. Uh, That's phenomenal because not only does it help people in the community, but it trains lawyers about IP. So whether they go into IP or not, we now have many more lawyers who are aware of IP and can consult with folks on it. 
in addition to that, we have divided up the country into 22 regions. So the entire country is covered by 22 nonprofit organizations that the USPTO teams with. Um, that's where we really double down because when I came on board, I heard that one or two of them drop off every year because it's very hard to offer those services. So once we double down on it, I've been here 10 months, nobody's dropped off. We had one, one swap in, uh, but there's been continuity the entire time. Those organizations offer help in terms of helping to protect your ideas with patents. They also offer general advice. I'm working with them right now because I know that those who are new to the innovation ecosystem, they need to know about NDAs. Uh, they need to know about how to deal with a threat letter from a company. So I just work with the organizations now. They're now developing content like that to put on their websites. And I will say the the data is staggering. So right now, the number of women on patents is about 12 to 13 percent. When we get out there and reach people where they are, when it comes to the pro bono services, that number jumps to 41 percent. It's a big difference. 41 percent. And then and then just the other demographics for those who identify as African-American or black. Last year, it was 30 percent. This year, it's 35 percent. And I could go on and on with the other statistics. Hispanics is around 15 percent. Asian-Americans is around 5.7 percent. Native Americans is around 1.5 percent. But it just really shows that there's innovation everywhere and people just need access and they need to be able to talk to somebody. Yeah. And the PTO website does a really good job. There's a map of these 22 different regions. You can click on your region and the requirements are very clear, you know, and and one of them is, um, you know, either you have a provisional application on file or you take uh, a class to uh, ensure that you understand IP law. And I've listened to that class and it's very, very well done. So it's not something people should, um, you know, be concerned about if they don't have a provisional application. So it's a it's a really good program. And I'd encourage people to check out the website to, to learn more about it. Thank you for that. Well, thank you so much, Director Vidal, for being on the podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Autumn on the Air with Lisa Mueller. Get social with us and share your thoughts. You can tweet us at AUTM or visit us online at AUTM.net. We'll be back next week on the air. Be sure to join us. New to tech transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for tech transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement, or startups, Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking, and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses, insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, and a line on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.